Hello everyone, welcome to the latest in the PhD podcast series here at the University of Limerick and I'm delighted today to welcome Chloe Carl. So Chloe, uh, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and your research project? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for having me first. Great. Uh, I'm originally from Wexford. I came to Limerick uh, undergrad MA a little bit of a PhD ago but my academic journey actually started in Wexford with a VTAC in media studies and I just loved it I loved there's a research module so I kept pursuing it came to Limerick and I just never left <laughs> this is where okay. my academic home has been so um, my research itself has it's changed due to my interests um, you know I pursued film gender mixed and now that is exactly what my PhD involves, the best of both worlds. Excellent. And so um, could you pinpoint, you know, a time when, you know, or say uh, something that kind of triggered this passion for your uh, for your area, Chloe, or was it something that evolved over a much longer spell of time? Um, I suppose it developed from personal interests. Um, I look at monsters quite a lot and renegotiating the monsters. So my pursuit of those starts at looking at the roots. And I suppose if you look at my roots, there's monsters. I wasn't a very shielded child from all of that. Dog Soldiers was my favourite movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> a kid living on the mountains, that was great. But um, yeah. I suppose I just, I started to pursue them. Um, most kids grew out of it. I just never did. And that led me to pursuing it in my studies. I looked at um, The Handmaid's Tale during my research for my MA because, you know, some monsters are human and it led me to looking at Puritan values and that led to the witch, which led me to renegotiating the monstrous of the witch. So it's been a, a long journey, but I guess the actual academic side really stemmed from my MA. It kind of showed me the natural step for me now was the PhD to create something big. Yeah. Great. And uh, so in terms of taking that natural step, why did you decide to do a PhD at UL? You know, it was obviously you were going to do a PhD, but why at the University of Limerick? During my undergrad, my favourite modules were film and the gender. And I had Dr. Mariano Paz for one, Dr. Sinead McDermott for the other. And I just came back to them. They were the dream team that, you know, they inspired the interests. So it was quite a journey to actually get to start the PhD. But when I decided UL, it just they were quite a big part of me choosing it because I wanted them on the team. I wanted the people who had inspired me to keep going. So um, just even the whole staff, the the resources and the campus, which you have behind you, you know, I know we miss it right now, but it was just home and I wanted yeah. to, to come back. OK, great. And just in terms of what you're Work, I know you're in the early stages, you know, very early stages of, 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 your, of your PhD, but just could you tell us what you're working on at the moment, you know, and are you building towards a certain milestone in the, in the near future? Um, one thing I wish I told myself last year was that you don't have to justify the lockdown by piling on a lot of work. So I have a lot going on at the moment with uh, book chapters, papers, conferences, but um, the big thing at the moment PhD wise is I've moved on to chapter one to focus on the fairy tale aspect of witches. So um, that's kind of my next goal is more uh, finding that approach in. So that is my, my main piece of work at the moment. 
great. And you refer there to lockdown. And obviously, you know, for people watching this, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic while this is being recorded. Um, hopefully that will seem like ancient history to people watching this, but uh, to some of the people at least watching this. But for, could you tell us, you know, what a typical day working on your PhD looks like um, at the moment and whether that has been affected, you know, by by the pandemic? I mean, I wish I could tell you I get up and I have a productive nine to five, but I don't. I really don't. Um, I took pressure off myself by actually taking the mornings for myself because we're, I'm not going anywhere. So it doesn't matter if I move my day. But um, really, it just kind of starts with rereading what I did the day before. Because like if you, if you just try to jump in, I find I'm sitting there for an hour staring at the screen. But if I reread, maybe rewrite the last few sentences, sometimes I'll leave off on a sentence that I was working on to pick back up. But it usually just involves sitting down here. Um, movies are quite big, so sometimes strange work ethic. I will need a movie on in the background to keep <laughs> me inspired, keep me focused. A lot of reading, yeah. I'll, I'll usually wrap the day up reading a source that I know I'm going to continue with the next day. Because I think um, when each day is rolling into the next, you need to have some, some finish point that will help you start again. Because I've had a few instances where I stop on a full stop and I just I really struggle to get going again so you just end up developing these tricks I think for yourself for your work ethic. Great that, that's that actually that's an excellent kind of segue into my next question which would be say could you give us an example of a problem which you encountered and how you approached that problem and attempted to get over it? Ah uh, imposter syndrome was probably the biggest thing especially um here, like I haven't actually been on the university since I started my PhD and you start to feel quite excluded, I think. So dealing with imposter syndrome was probably the biggest thing. You're um, trying to justify your work to yourself and in dealing with that, it just again came to taking care of the mental health. I know it's some people might get sick of hearing, you know, during their academic thing, but it is so important that um, to, to tackle this problem for me, I needed to to do things for myself to you know start the day off you know even with a workout or something and what I can do in my room just to start off with a productive start and it really did help me and uh, it's not so much going presenting at conferences and getting that justification for your work that helps with imposter syndrome it's just doing it and writing it and when you're reading it back to yourself you're kind of like wow yeah okay I have something of value to produce. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, great. And in terms of, you know, um, and you talked there about, you know, something of value, which might again lead into the well, which might be a nice uh, lead into the next question, which is about the impact, you know, you refer, re, you know, refer to witches and monsters and, you know, hand the handmaid's tale and just how, you know, so how uh, we hear so much in terms of, you know, the cultural impact of, of, of something like Handmaid's Tale. What would you say, you know, could be the impact of your research, uh, whether it be in the discipline or whether it be in the, you know, in wider society? What are you hoping could be the impact ultimately? I mean, I'm dreaming big. <laughs> I'd like yeah, no harm, no yeah. harm. Yeah. But um, I guess what I'm, what I need to always remind myself is what I want to show is how we are creating and deciphering meaning through something like the witch. I mean, the witch, what I would say is in the middle of a new wave. 
So mm. typical hag, crone, green witch is not as common anymore. Instead, she's being used as a feminist figure. Mm. You know, we're revisiting a history of persecution to revive her. And the way my chapters work, I'm inserting her back into history as an empowered figure. And I guess I want to show that this is how cultural change comes about by changing a figure like the witch and redoing her and repeating it so much that this is the new tradition, which again is like fairy tales. They are known for their cultural value. They're part of the socialization uh, process. So if we keep repeating gender roles and structures like that, nothing's going to change to do a complete upheaval. So I guess it's not so much saying this is how to do it, but this is what we need to do. Mm, yeah. OK, it's probably a great time then to be looking at an issue like this as well, you know, so and uh, I, I um, would ask you then, Chloe, about, you know, when you uh, finish your PhD and complete this important research, what do you think you would like to do, you know, in terms of a career path? You know, would you like to um, become an academic or have you other aspirations i know it's a question a lot of people don't like dealing with and i'm sorry to ask it but uh... um when i decided to pursue the phd i i really wanted to stay and remain in academia and going forward that is where i think i would like to stay a big thing to do because it's it's a hard area to maintain mm -hmm. and stay in but it is something i think I, I will continue to pursue to stay in academia hopefully with UL as well, so never leaving. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and that might, you know, partly answer the next question, which is about, you know, what would you say would be the advantage of doing a PhD, say, to, you know, um, to, to not doing one, you know, for someone, uh, for someone with your aspirations and someone with your talents and your skills, um, what, what would you think would be, you know, the, the primary advantage of, of a PhD? I mean, I can only speak for myself, but um, I had quite a journey to to finally get into UL, pursue the PhD. But I think the biggest push was that I'm too young to have this as the biggest regret, not pursuing this, because it's uh, a question that was dominating my mind before I decided I'm going to make this into a thesis. So I think I would have sincerely regretted it if I'd gone industry and not tried. So I might regret it later. Like that's not to say that it could all go a bit sideways, but uh, no, I think that was a big push for me that I need to try. Yeah, that leads then to the to the last question, which I have, which is, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking of doing a, a PhD? Somebody, you know, not necessarily thinking of doing a PhD at UL, but uh, just doing a, a, a doctorate. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody in that position at the moment? I think the most important thing is that the PhD can be quite an isolating experience. So your support system put great importance on that because I do. I know what it's like to feel very lonely in a solo research, but um, as I, I chase my boyfriend around the house as a rubber duck, you know, talking about witches. And my um, supervisors are fantastic to approach. I can talk to them about anything, even if it's just a little bit of added stress. So I really think the support system you have, because it's important to know that you're not alone in the research. It might feel like it. This is your narrative. But um, there's a lot of people to talk to about it. And especially even if people aren't in UL, but I can say that UL 
there's a lot of people who will welcome you and welcome you to talk it out. Excellent. That, that's really good to know. And I think those support systems are so important, as you say, it can be a nice for some. It can be a, a, an isolating experience doing a doing a PhD and just having that support in place is fantastic, even if it entails chasing your boyfriend around the house. Chloe, Carl, thank you so much for that. That was, you know, that was that was really great and really insightful. And uh, um, the, the research that you're doing, you know, it's just uh, it's just so important, so re so relevant for the for the current era that we're living through. So thank you so much. It was a real pleasure talking to you and hearing you. about your research. Thank you. So I really appreciate it. That's great. Thank you so much, Chloe. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.